Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. Good to be with you um, this morning. I always look forward to this time of the year every June for, like Bert said, I think 15 years. Um, I've been able to make the journey back here um, and to hang out for uh, a morning. And so, um, Thank you for engaging with the work of Love 146 for so long. Um, we will be 20 years old as an organization this year, so we'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary. By the way, we will be having an in-person gala for the first time in a long time um, next spring, celebrating our 20th uh, year as an organization with a theme of the Roaring Twenties, so you can dress to the nines and coming to that if you'd like um, to celebrate with us. But you've been basically celebrating this work now for um, a little, 15 years, a little over 15 years. I, I did a little bit of digging um, over the last uh, week or two into the archives of Love 146, um, specifically about True North. And interestingly, one of the first times that True North engaged with us through was through um, Bert, who had uh, um, uh, this thing called the TypePad blog way back in, um, in the day, and he was uh, giving us a shout out on his personal blog, and in that blog he talked about um, uh, a contest that we were in on this platform back in the day called MySpace. Anybody remember MySpace? You laugh. Um, and uh, we were in the running as um, an organization. They had this thing called the MySpace Impact Award, where they were giving a $10,000 grant to an organization that was doing really good work when it comes to justice type um, issues. And we were a relatively new organization at the time. We didn't have a lot of following and everything. But Bert put it out on his personal blog saying, hey, True North people, anyone out there, vote for Love 146 to win this MySpace Impact Award. And we ended up winning that MySpace Impact Award back in 2007. Um, yeah, and, and at the end of, what was funny was at the end of Bert's um, post, he had a PS and he said, PS, True North Facebook now has 37 members. Wow, 37 members back in 2007. My, have things grown and changed um, through the years. But thank you for your generosity through the years. Um, since you first started engaging this work and in, in, in because of your passion to create a safer world for children, um, you've donated to the work of Love 146 over the last 15 years a little over $600,000. That is absolutely amazing and extravagant. Uh, generosity. Those of you that are unfamiliar with, um, with Love 146, um, we do have, there's a, this magic portal um, uh, called a QR code. I don't know, understand, I'm not a tech person, I don't understand how it works, but if you put your camera on that, somehow it brings you into another world that tells you how you can be involved with, uh, with Love 146. And we, we value um, people's partnerships. Some, some of you partner with us on a, on a monthly basis, which is the lifeblood of the organization. The church as a whole supports um, our work and we're always looking for people to become more engaged. So that's a way that you can do that. Also, my colleague Ramona um, is with me today at the back table. You can talk with her or myself um, afterwards. But we've been around for 20 years. It began, and many of you know, uh, because of an encounter. I was um, with some criminal investigators um, in, uh, in a Southeast Asian country, was brought in for the first time in my life into a brothel in an undercover investigation, um, and in that place encountered um, 
children who were being um, trafficked, exploited, and sold for horrific reasons. And, and in that place and in that encounter, I had met the girl who um, had even the dignity of a name stripped from her. She just had a number pinned to her dress, and that number uh, was 146. And that moment um, was a life-changing moment for, for me um, and from, from some friends, and we ended up birthing out of that place um, this organization that eventually became uh, Love 146. And so what that looks like is that we care for survivors, um, children who have been trafficked and exploited. Uh, we provide services and care uh, for those children where they have a, um, uh, uh, basically a chance to uh, recover their childhoods and their lives again. Um, and then we also, out of, um, after some time of doing that, felt like we're never going to end this by just caring for survivors. We need to do something to stop it. So we began our prevention programs. And our prevention programs now look mostly like um, a curriculum that's being used right now in the United States um, uh, by juvenile justice agencies, by child welfare agencies. It's being utilized in um, schools. It's a, it's a curriculum called the Not a Number Curriculum, um, and it's now being utilized in 22 states um, in the United States. So since 2002 until now, um, we have been able to reach, through our prevention programs and our survivor care programs, a little over 67,000 children on four continents. And that's made possible because of your um, generosity. So that is no um, small thing. We appreciate uh, your partnership more than you could possibly um, imagine. So um, yeah, and just to bring it home even closer, even literally just a little over a week ago, I got news from our director in the Philippines. We had just brought two new children um, into our care there, uh, um, siblings. One was um, a two-year-old and, uh, and um, a seven-year-old. Um, so children that literally have just come into our care. And to bring it even closer to home, um, even right here in the state of um, New York and in Long Island, um, I'll be attending uh, in about a month and a half or so the sentencing of a perpetrator here in Long Island that was actually responsible for trafficking and exploited one of our children in the Philippines who is now in our care um, over there. So crazy how those worlds connect. Right here in Long Island, there was a businessman um, who was abusing and exploiting a child in the Philippines who eventually came into our care. Um, he was caught, um, he, was, he was prosecuted, and he's going to be sentenced um, uh, hopefully for a long time uh, in, in about a month and a half. So it hits close to home, doesn't it? It's not something that just happens over there. It's something that happens in our own uh, communities in, uh, as well. So thank you for your passion in wanting to see that stop and bring an end to that. Um, I don't know about you, but it's been quite a year since I've been here um, last. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, there's been some, some grief. I, I lost my mom back uh, in August, right after I was here in June. Uh, she, she started to go downhill, and I lost my mom. Um, and then I also lost one of my dearest and closest friends this past January. I had a brother that ended up, we own, almost ended up losing my brother uh, to COVID, as well as my sister-in-law. It's just been an intense, intense um, year and there's also been some good things that has happened. That's what I mean about uh, the roller coaster. Just a little over a week ago, I became a grandfather for the first time. Um, I have a new little baby grandson uh, named Jude Tyler Morris, which I'm very excited about. I'm really pumped, you guys, to be a grandfather. Some people are like, "Wow, you're a grandfather?" Yeah, I'm absolutely stoked to be a grandfather because I heard it's a whole nother ball game than being a parent. You get to do all the fun things and not deal with the consequences. So I'm all about being a grandfather. Um, and I've got two of my kids getting married this year. And so there's a lot of stuff 
um, happening. And in this coming week, in four days, I turn 60 years old. So um, six decades, man. Um, so yeah, so it's been this bit of a roller coaster. But all along, I feel like there's this groaning that's taking place in me. And I don't know whether it's just something that's sparked constantly by grief um, or constantly by just recognizing the, the, the reality of some of the dark stuff that we deal with as an organization. But then you're constantly faced also with 24-7 news of that sense of all of creation groaning. You know how the Bible talks about creation is groaning for some sort of deliverance um, and redemption. And I want to read something by um, an author by the name of and Andy Squires. He's also a musician. And he addresses this uh, groan. He says, gosh, I've not been able to hold back the tide of all of creation groaning. Behold, some folks live on yachts and some folks live on crusts of bread. Not all groaning is the same. Rich people hope for mountains to climb. Hungry people hope for food. The hungry ask God, what will we eat until there's food to eat? And the rich are annoyed by these questions, so they tell them, quit your groaning. But groaning is the sound of hope making its way out of the body. By the way, that's an absolutely quotable, powerful statement. Um, that groaning is the sound of hope making its way out of the body. These days, groaning is discouraged, and in most places, it is considered very bad form. Well-meaning people will try to talk you out of your groaning. They will sell you a book about how to groan less. They will tell you that your real problem is maybe your bad attitude. Maybe they're right, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's that life is hard and there is a groaning that comes from just being alive. I think one of the most gracious things we can give to a fellow human being is to take a break from our inner ego, which tells us that we are blessed because we have the right attitude. Having enough strength to have a good attitude is a gift from God. Enjoy it as such, and then have enough humility to spare the world your purpose-driven life. Walk lightly with folks who are flailing under the weight of their circumstances. Don't offer to be their life coach. Weep with those who weep. Sing with those who sing. Groan with those who groan. Just because someone barely has any hope does not mean that they're doing something wrong. It means that the frustration which creation has been subjected to has chanced to fall heavier on them than it fell on you. In that case, refrain from your condescension and maybe buy them a beer. <laughs> I love that. That sense of groaning and our response uh, to the groan and what that looks like. You know, I've loved, I, I, I was watching um, over the last week Bert's um, message uh, from last week and the series of messages that he's been giving about the church. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? You know, and yet at the same time, there's this other thought, um, you know, and I know he's touched on this. What does that actually look like? What does the church look like? Is the church Lovely. You know, I, I was visiting a, a wedding venue when we were looking at venues for our daughter to get married this year. And, and when I was visiting this one venue, um, this, uh, the guy that runs the venue, he says, um, uh, tell me a little bit about your daughter. He, he says, is, is your daughter a bridezilla? And I'm like, a what? And he goes, is she a bridezilla? I'm like, I don't even know what that is. What is a bride? Some of you are nodding your heads like you've known a bridezilla or two or maybe have been one. I don't know. Um, uh, but I didn't know what that was, and he started to describe something that actually sounded really terrifying. 
um, as far as what a bridezilla is, and, and, and it was all pretty negative and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 my daughter's not that. Uh, I don't think my daughter is a bridezilla. She's actually very chill about all of this stuff and everything. In fact, we, we've got to figure out how to, for her to, to be less chill. And, and, um, but I started thinking about that bridezilla thing, and then when I was watching um, Bert sharing about the church and isn't uh, she lovely, I, I wonder, is it possible that if we're not careful, we become the bridezilla of Christ instead of the bride of Christ, and that maybe at times we're not actually all that lovely um, to look at and uh, to, to perceive. And, and, some, and, and I think we see even in the news and stuff, our, our bridezilla-ness or ugliness has been highlighted and amplified, and especially in describing um, the church in America, or to be more specific, the evangelical church in America, or even more specific, the white evangelical church in America is oftentimes marked by being arrogant, opinionated, judgmental, hypocritical, self-obsessed, unforgiving, unmerciful, even abusive, and possibly complicit. That's a terrifying thing to think about, you know, uh, as far as the church and who um, we are. And if you don't uh, think that's necessarily true, here's a little experiment that you can do. If you go to Google and you hit the news tab and just type in the word pastor or the words youth pastor or the word Christian and see the headlines that pop up when you Google news under any of those search terms and it's pretty horrific. You see stories of violence, abuse, racism, exploitation, and on and on. And there's this realization of like, man, maybe we're not that lovely. Maybe we look more like a bridezilla than a bride. And it's so opposite when you think about what Jesus has called us to look like and, and the example and the model that he set out of being merciful and honest, being peacemakers, humility, sacrifice, and love being marked by those things, and the church being marked as and identified as a sanctuary. The church was once known as a sanctuary. We even have now, we use that terminology, right? When you come in here, you're, you have this big building that you're in, but when you come in here, this is known as the sanctuary. And that term was created because the church at one time was literally a sanctuary for fugitives that were escaping the death penalty or trying to get away from a sentence or, or whatever. They would run to a church and it was considered sanctuary, a safe place. Are our churches sanctuaries anymore? Are our churches safe places? You know, the, one of the first theologians in church history is a guy named Tertullian. And he, just a little over a hundred years after Jesus uh, was walking uh, the earth, and during the time of the plagues, one of the things that Christians were known for was being with those who were dying from the plague, literally risking their own lives and dying themselves because they saw it as their responsibility as a follower of Jesus to be with the suffering, 
to not escape, to not protect themselves, but to actually be with the suffering. And they were known to literally be sacrificing their lives to be with those that were untouchable, the outcasts and, and, and the oppressed and all of that. In fact, to the point uh, where Tertullian, describing how outsiders saw believers, he said that they would say, look at how they love one another and how they are ready to die for others. And Tertullian went on, he says, it is our care of the helpless and our practice of loving kindness that brands us. This is just a little over a hundred years after Jesus walked the earth. He says, this was what marked the early church, our loving kindness and our selflessness, our mercifulness, our honesty, being peacemakers, being people of humility. You know, and I, and I worry that maybe we've become distracted. And Bert hit on this last week. I love that he hammered on, on, on this when he said, this is a little quote from your pastor. He says, don't let anyone distract you from him. I think we've been distracted by other things. We've been uh, um, distracted by power. We've been distracted by influence. We've been distracted by popular opinion. We've been distracted by political parties. There's so many things that are pulling for our attention, and we've taken our eyes off of him. And I love that Bert hammered that last week. He's like, put your eyes on him. Don't be distracted. It reminds me of the words of Paul to the Galatians when he looks at them and he says, man, who's bewitched you? Who has distracted you from the main thing being the main thing? You guys, when I think about even at times I'll, I'll, I'll see Christian leaders or people that I know that are Christians or followers of Jesus posting horrific things on social media and stuff and, and, or weighing in with comments that are horrific on other people's social media. We're in this weird thing that we're getting so distracted. Let me tell you, if your lifestyle or your views do not support, empower, and value who Jesus described as the least of these, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the abused, the overlooked, the brokenhearted, victims of violence, oppression, racism, injustice, and on and on. Or worse, if your views or lifestyle actually cause harm to any of those, I don't even want to think what you'd want to see, that, or that, what Jesus would comment on your social media post. Because these are the people that Jesus came for. I want to, you know, as an experiment early last year, I was sort of realizing that, man, so much of my Christianity has been influenced by outside influences, whether it's every sermon I've heard, every book that I've read, and I've recognized that so much of my Christianity and my faith has been influenced um, by an American branded, even, um, form of Christianity. And I'm like, God, I, I wonder what it would be like if, if I had not had known any of that, and if I were to just read the words of Jesus, what that would, how I would be impacted and how that would affect the way that I would live my life. Not people's opinions on Jesus' words, but Jesus' words. And so I actually prayed this prayer. I remember the morning. I, I was like, God, if there's any way that you could strip from my thinking and my memory and all, um, all the stuff that I've gathered, all the outside influences, all the things that may actually be distracting me from re really hearing you and seeing you, could you do that? I want to read through your words. And so I went to the red letters, the words of Jesus, as if I'm reading them for the first time, and I was absolutely absolutely obliterated. I was convicted. I was challenged. I recognized what a revolutionary Jesus was, especially within the context of the religious culture of his time. 
His teachings were so powerful and so upside down of conventional religious thinking at the time. Most of the time he was really offensive by the things that he said and were so challenging to things that people um, believed. And so I was reading through this and I was being impacted um, by all of this. And so I wanted to read some of what specifically some of the things that I really felt impacted by specifically when it came to being challenged as far as Jesus' words. And I want to read them in three different versions to you this morning. And I want, I'm not going to have, it's not going to be on the screen. I want you to picture yourself on the hillside because Jesus didn't have any multimedia or anything like that. He was just talking to his friends and he was like, man, this is who I call blessed. And the challenge that must have been for them to hear because this was not typically what people would consider um, blessing and stuff. And specifically, I'm talking about um, the Beatitudes. And so I want to read these to you um, as if you're hearing them for the first time. The NIV version says this. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed, or blessed, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's interesting, he says, they won't be fixed. (laughs) They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Not the powerful, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then the message version um, breaks it down even more into real life for us. He says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. I love this. This is not typically what we do when, when large crowds gather at our festivals and our, and our shindigs. There's a sign of turning 60 years old that I use the term shindig. Um, he says, those who were apprenticed to him, the committed. <laughs> I love all the thoughts that we could have that comes with the committed. The committed climbed with him up the mountain. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and, and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you... There is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He is food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, and your heart right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are, and your place in God's family. And then the last version um, is a version that was sort of uh, created collaboratively um, by a Scottish theologian and professor by the name of Dr. Doug Gay, along with um, Lutheran pastor Nadia Bols Weber, and they expound on these words of Jesus um, even more gritty and, and coming home to us. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer anymore. Blessed are they for whom nothing seems to be working. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven, and Jesus blesses you. Maybe you're finding yourself now amongst the blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones, for whom tears are as real as an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss actually feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are the motherless, the alone, the ones from whom so much has been taken. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are they who laughed again when for so long they thought they never would. Blessed are those who mourn, you are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables. The laundry guys at the hospital. The sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the losers and the babies and the parts of ourselves that are so small. The parts of ourselves that don't want to make eye contact with a world that only loves winners. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens, the teenagers who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven. And Jesus blesses you. I'm sorry, I can't even get this. I've read this a million times. I can't get rid of this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard, for they are those with whom Jesus chose to surround himself with. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are foster kids and trophy kids and special ed kids and every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved and never does. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are they who know there has to be more than this because they are right. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burnt-out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are they who delete hateful homophobic comments off their friend's Facebook page. Blessed are the ones who have received such real grace that they are no longer in the position of ever deciding who the deserving poor are. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I did not deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. Whew. 
when we find ourselves, as we should, amongst who Jesus describes as the blessed, our hearts begin to open and people truly do feel blessed by God because of that open heart. That's when the church is the loveliest. That's when we can no longer be branded, branded as the, a bridezilla, but truly the bride of Christ. And I th- when I read through these words as if I'm hearing them for the first time, I'm like, how are we blessed like this? How are these people, the broken, the marginalized, the outcast, how are they blessed? And I think it's so clear. They're blessed because of what we see in the words and life of Jesus. These are those who Jesus came for. Right? He lays it out in Luke chapter 4 when he stood in the synagogue and he basically said, this is why I've come. And this is what makes the blessed the blessed is that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor, the marginalized, the abused. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is it. Jesus sums up his ministry right here. In fact, he even is so bold when he looks at the crowd when he's done reading this. He says, oh, and one more thing. This day, this scripture that you've known by heart that was written by your revered prophet Isaiah, is now made true and is fulfilled even in your hearing through me. How are we blessed and how are the marginalized blessed? Because God has this unhealthy attraction to the marginalized, the vulnerable, the abused, the overlooked the brokenhearted, victims of violence, oppression, and injustice, and thus so should we. These are those who Jesus preferred to be with. Read through the Gospels. As I was reading this past year through the Gospels, it was like it was so obvious to me. These are those who Jesus was with by preference. He was only with those that thought they had it together by invitation. But by preference, I want to be with these. And that's what made us blessed. He draws near to who? The brokenhearted. A bruised reed, he said, I will not crush. And a smoldering wick, I will never snuff out. Could you stand with me as we close? You know, I was thinking about earlier, we were... Uh, the worship team was singing this song that you're going to hear in a minute that just obliterated me. Thanks, Amanda, for that. Um, and I was reminded of right before the pandemic, I was in the Philippines at, at, at a, um, one of our safe homes there. And um, uh, we have a farm that's attached to the safe home property um, where we have animals and crops that feed the kids and the kids learn nurturing. We're taking care of the animals. And just before I got there, um, the goats had just given birth to little baby goats. And I don't know if you've ever seen baby goats, but if you go on YouTube and just put in baby goats, there's literally millions of videos of baby goats because they are hilarious. 
their antics are just absolutely hysterical, the way they sort of just boing straight up and down and they're bouncing all over the place like on pogo sticks and everything. And, and uh, at our safe home, we just literally these goats had, had baby goats. And so when we arrived there, one of our younger girls, she's five years old, she comes running up to me and she grabs me um, by the hand. She wants to bring me down to see the new baby goats. And so we go running down to see where the baby goats are. And as we get down there, we arrive, and sure enough, these baby goats are hilarious. They're boinging, boinging up and down all over the place, springing around and, and jumping around and everything. And she is just laughing hysterically. And I'm laughing along with her until I notice the size of the hand that's holding mine. And the thought of why am I holding the hand of a five-year-old girl in a place called a safe home, it's crazy the groan inside of me at the reality of what was taking place here, there. But those giggles and that laughter, this is a song of a child coming home. And the thought that we have a God who, as you're about to sing about, that leaves the light on, that flings open the door, should be us. A church that flings open the door because we find ourselves amongst the broken and who Jesus described as the blessed. In closing, I want to read this prayer by a guy named Ted Loader that sums it all up. Would you pray with me? Sometimes, Lord, it just seems to be too much. Too much violence, too much fear, too much demands and problems, too much of broken dreams and broken lives, too much of war and slums and dying. Too much of greed and squishy fatness and the sounds of people devouring each other in the earth. Too much of stale routines and quarrels, unpaid bills and dead ends. Too much of words lobbed in to explode and leaving shredded hearts and lacerated souls. Too much of turned away backs and yellow silence, red rage and the bitter taste of ashes in my mouth. Sometimes the very air seems scorched by threats and rejection and decay until there's nothing but to inhale pain and exhale confusion. Too much of darkness, Lord. Too much of cruelty and selfishness and indifference. Too much, Lord. Too much, too bloody, bruising, brainwashing much. Or is it too little? Too little of compassion too little of courage, of daring, of persistence, of sacrifice, too little of music and laughter and celebration. Oh God, make of me some nourishment for these starved times, some food for my brothers and sisters who are hungry for gladness and hope that being broken like bread for them, I may also be fed and be full. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word true north to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.